Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Hello, world. Hi, Kirk. How are you Hello, doing? Sheldon. I'm doing all right. Good. Um, so uh, you are just telling me uh, before we went live that uh, you have a new grandkid. Congratulations. Yep. Number 10. Uh, number 10. So um, what's the age gap between number one and number 10 now? I believe that the oldest grandchild is 12 years old and the youngest one has just been born today. So you got the babysitter built in mm -hmm. to the, um, with the youngest. Perfect. And I think there's plenty more to come if Mm -hmm. if the world continues to function, which I'm not always sure of given recent events, but hopefully. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's, let's take a couple minutes just to talk about some recent events. So I, I noticed on Twitter, um, that something was trending that I think we need to talk about. Talk about. Um, Lindsay Lohan has told the world that we've been pronouncing her name wrong. Wow, that was tw- that was trending on Twitter today. That is massive. Right in between, Putin goes into the Ukraine and Ukraine. <laughs> so wow. I, I just thought the algorithm on Twitter beautiful. Excellent wow. job, software yeah, people. It is awesome. <laughs> so uh, I didn't click through to see how I was pronouncing her name wrong. So sorry, Lindsay. I, I probably still pronounced it wrong because I was assuming it was always Lohan. But if it's not Lohan, then Lohan. Well, I'm glad you apologize because she's probably watching this live stream. So, so if she isn't yet, she'll catch the archive for sure. Uh, and then the other thing I think we. Uh, need to talk about is um, so we we have a we have a couple dictators working working their their magic right now. We've got dictator in uh, Russia going into the Ukraine right now. Um, my last name Kodak is Ukrainian. My uh, grandparents left or great grandparents left the uh, country in early 1900s, settled in Saskatchewan uh, in Canada. And uh, so it's a little bit surreal. I've never been over um, into the Ukraine, but a lot of my, a lot of my family has. And so um, it's, it's interesting and surreal to, to see live um, the country fall. Yeah. Uh, now they haven't fallen yet. The, I guess the Ukraine or Ukraine has been putting on a bit of a, a bit of a defense, but they're not getting any help. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, I've been to Ukraine. In fact, I've been one of the cities I spent the most time in is, was Lviv. And uh, to read, uh, to see on the news today that Lviv has taken hits from missiles, I just shake my head. And, you know, it is, it's sad, actually sad. Ukrainians are people just like you and I and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just want to have a life. And all of a sudden, in come the missiles, you know, out comes the invasion. And I noticed that even in Russia itself, there's a lot of Russians who are not a very enthusiastic at all about getting involved in this war. Yeah, there, there are quite a few protests happening. There's a lot of people gathered outside of the uh, one of the buildings in uh, St. Petersburg, I believe. 
and uh, that that isn't like protesting here. Um, that's a little bit more. The, they don't wait to uh, do a emergency powers thing after three weeks in the, in Russia. Okay. They'll do a pretty good clampdown right away, and they don't give you warning. No, and uh, you can find yourself poisoned if you're too much of a problem. A number of uh, upper level dissidents or protesters or even opposition members have mm -hmm. found themselves knocking on the pertly gates prematurely because of being dispatched there by by poison it's a uh, pretty pretty incredible um time to be alive um i saw some interesting comments on twitter and and the other social media platforms out there uh one i, I almost screenshotted it but i didn't want to uh embarrass a person at all or anything like that it was in response to somebody saying, uh, I'm, in, I'm living in fear, um, I can't believe this is happening, uh, the world is falling apart, uh, somebody responded, it's okay, it's just Armageddon, Jesus wins. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the Armageddon part. It's the Armageddon part that is not so pleasant and the events leading up to it. So... Um... Yeah, and I was also thinking, I don't know if this is Armageddon, because World no. War One and Two happened, and that wasn't Armageddon, and this no. isn't World War Three at this point. No. So uh, don't yeah. read into what's going on into anything spiritual at this point would be my recommendation. That's right. It's just, you know, it could be wars and rumors of wars, but it's not Armageddon. Uh, prophecy in the scriptures kind of makes it pretty clear that if you have to wonder or argue about whether this is Armageddon, then it's not because it will be mm -hmm. it will be global, decisive, and at the end of a number of other major events which have not yet happened. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, for those of you that are watching now, I apologize. And, and for those of you who might be thinking this stream is going to take place in an hour, as a software developer, um, time zones, not the best uh, thing to be working on. And uh, even just trying to figure out the one hour between Kirk and I, I got messed up and told him uh, the correct time initially and told YouTube the totally wrong time. Uh, and so we are doing this an hour earlier than initially scheduled on YouTube, but we did schedule it between us properly. So there is that. There was a proper schedule that happened. It's just it wasn't the public one. Which yeah, you and I showed up. You and I showed up. Yeah. And, and uh, I know Kirk was willing to wait. Um, I have to... Uh, be uh, doing show for duty uh, with the kids in different sports. So I can't uh, delay, unfortunately. So we apologize. However, those of you that are want to engage in the chat, feel free. Um, we do read them. We will respond to them next week. If, uh, if we don't see them this week and, um, and I know Kirk's active in the, in the comments. So if you have any comments, feel free to leave them there hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. That does help us quite a bit with the algorithms. And, um, and yeah, so we'll get into some uh, pretty uh, fun, uh, would be one word for it, uh, conversation here about uh, physics, free will, particles, 
and um, we might throw in some current events and and stuff in there at the same time. But uh, before Kirk uh, goes into this a little bit, I want I want to say I've watched uh, Sabrina. It's Sabrina, right? Sabrina. Sabrina's video. Oh, I don't know how you pronounce it in German, but in English, that's Sabrina. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Sabrina, or however you pronounce your name for wrecking your name. But uh, Hussenfelder, um, yeah, Mrs. Doctor, I'm, I'm not sure which that which of that is it is. But uh, she put out a video on free will from the physics side, uh, very much the materialist, materialistic physics side. And um, basically said there's no such thing as free will. And it's in the garbage or the rubbish bin or uh, whatever word she used for it. And even just thinking about it isn't, uh, she didn't say, she said it wasn't enlightening for her. Uh, some of the arguments against it or, or for it. And uh, so she was pretty strong. But I want to sort of sum up what I was hearing from her perspective and then you can tell me what I'm missing because like, I didn't do well in physics in school. I, I did take it in grade 12. Philosophy, I took it in Bible college, but I don't really remember anything from that class. It was an 8 o'clock in the morning class, and those were historically not good classes for me. But I think after watching her video three times and yours three times responding to hers, I might understand it a little bit. So... Let me try and figure this out. Her view is that at the beginning of the universe, so pre-Big Bang, all the particles were there. And when the Big Bang happened, all the particles were dispersed. And the future, everything that happens, happens because of the way the particles are built and act. And we don't actually have any ability to change how that happens. We have no, we have no ability to engage with the particles that are happening in our body. We are under their control because of the laws of physics and math. Is that correct or am I totally off? Uh, no, you're not totally off, uh, Sheldon, and you're 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 pretty close to converging on it. Uh, I don't think she would say there was anything before the Big Bang. Um, basically, it's thought that the Big Bang. I think she would say most physicists would say the Big Bang was the, the time zero or the moment of the emergence of nature, which is space, time, matter, and energy, laws of nature, into existence. So, I think what she would say is that at the, at the Big Bang. There was this massive expansion of energy and very quickly particles. And each one of these had particularly particular momentums and properties. And in addition to that, there were certain constants that emerged uh, immediately of physics and laws of nature that when you take all of this put together, uh, everything, if, if, if this world, if reality is nothing more than just the physical world, space, time, matter, and energy, and the laws of nature. If reality is nothing more than that, then everything that happens after that is a result of the initial conditions of the Big Bang and the laws of nature, where the initial conditions are 
what was going on just like at the moment when it the universe began to expand so that would be her thing and since we're she would say that since nothing there all of reality is composed just of the material physical things we ourselves are just simply material physical things that ourselves just work according to the physics and chemistry of the of the circumstances we find ourselves in and so everything that you think is going on in your head like when you're trying to come to a decision that's just bogus what happens is that really your brain is going through a series of changes that are dictated by chemistry and physics that if you look back to what caused all those in those conditions in your brain you find something earlier and so on and so forth that goes all the way back to the origin of the universe so you think you're thinking you think you're making a decision but you're not it's just a series of chemical reactions in your head and in fact you probably wouldn't even call yourself we, we shouldn't really use the term we or you because that implies some sort of self-awareness i've been thinking this uh this week about how could i best describe what it would be like if we didn't actually think and we we didn't make decisions that were uh according to the rules of logic what would that be like and it occurred to me that um it would probably be like something like a very fast sports game like ping pong or racquetball where your brain can work as what's called a neural network you can train your body in other words some of them some people call it muscle memory you know that sort of stuff you don't need to when that ball's bouncing off the wall and coming towards you and reflecting off the sidewall and then the floor you don't need to perform calculations or think about where you're going it's your body is just trained that in these circumstances the racket needs to be like this and you need to hit it that hard and at that angle it's just there's no thinking involved it's just reaction and that is possibly permissible if if um under the material world so in the material world we just simply respond and react to whatever stimuli we're at the moment Bye. so like when I think of muscle memory, it's I've already trained my brain to teach my muscles to do something. So whether when I was a goalie in hockey, I would throw the tennis ball against the wall to catch it as fast as I could. So I was always um, training my body to be able to react, react. my eyes, see, see it, and my body reacts, and I'm not thinking about it. Um, it's really hard to do that in a live stream or create a video or anything like that because you actually have to plan and you have to, um, not that we plan a whole lot in these live streams, but you have to put some effort into it. You have to put your mind to it. How, how, does she, how do the particles in her head get to make her a really smart physicist when I didn't get those? Like, is it just luck of the draw on why the particles in her head give her extra skills in that? Or did she go to school? How did she capture that information in, her, know, in her way of thinking? Well, it's a good question because under her worldview, um, even terms like smart, dumb, correct, wrong, false, those are just uh illusions like free will i don't think she maybe realized that or got into that but they're basically just illusions because 
basically when you see an egg frying in the pan, let's say two eggs are frying in the frying pan for breakfast, and both eggs are not exactly the same. They're two different eggs. And uh, there's no consideration about which egg, which frying egg is smarter than the other or which is in a better position. Like all these concepts, they're not there. They're simply a chemical reaction governed by physics happening in the frying pan. And whatever, when you lift that egg out of the frying pan, whatever whatever happened in the frying pan is, is the final state of affairs of that egg in the same way we think we're thinking but it's really a very much more complex eggs frying in the frying pan between our ears it's just chemical reactions happening there's nothing going on and then we arrive at what we think is a decision now here's the problem the problem is that we actually think we're making a decision we think we're thinking and we actually think we can we have free will and so and not only that if you were to ask me why did or somebody were to ask you and I, why did you guys decide to do a video tonight on free will and what Sabine Hossenfelder said? Uh, we would tend to respond by giving some reasons. And they would be, hopefully, arrive at the logical conclusion or an inductive conclusion of somehow, some sort, that therefore we're going to do a video on this topic tonight. See, we would be thinking according to logical uh, progression, the and uh, the basically the principles of logical inference. That's how everybody thinks or hopefully thinks. But that's not true if she's right. And so that's the problem. You experience yourself thinking and making decisions according to rules of logic. Somebody comes along and said, oh, you're totally mistaken. That's just a chemical reaction that was completely determined by the origin of the universe. I got a problem with that and probably most people do. She would argue you're mistaken, but I would argue no. If your observation says that you can, this such and such is happening, and somebody gives a fancy argument saying, no, that's what you observe is not actually happening, then I think if the onus would be on the person trying to dissuade you from free will to beef up their argument. No, in fact, she gives a very good argument that we don't have free will, but it all is built on one premise. It's like the foundation for your house. The house may be firmly established if it's got a good foundation, but you whip that foundation out from under your house, you got a problem. In the same way, her fundamental premise is this. Reality consists only of the physical world. That's it. Governed by the laws of nature. So if you grant her that premise, then you... I hate to say this, but you logically conclude that you're not making decisions, not thinking, but you can't even logically conclude that. If you grant her premise, actually what all happens is just a bunch of chemistry and physics, and here we are. Every word we say has been determined from the foundation of the world. This coffee cup, the design, the picture on it, determined by the initial conditions of the universe. Every piece of music you've ever heard, every piece of art you ever saw, every piece of software you ever had the pleasure of, every piece of electronic device, all of that is determined by <clears throat> excuse me determined by the initial conditions of the universe and the laws of nature if you're if you're if she's right but wow like are you really you really want to go down that road and decide we can't think okay so i have i have more questions here so um i went on wikipedia or not wikipedia i went on google and um i typed in what is a particle because that word kept coming up 
and it gave me a bunch of science. Some of it is chemistry, some of it is physics, some like almost none of it is understandable unless you've gone through four years of college or, or university. Can you explain to me what a particle is? Like I, I think of a dust particle, and I believe that's a type of particle. Um, I know what an atom is. I know what a molecule is. I know what a proton and photon and those different things are. But what's a particle? Because that seems central to her thinking that she doesn't well, do. She doesn't define particle because it could be taken, like a layperson would just take take it as, oh, you're made out of molecules. Or somebody might say, oh, you're made out of neutrinos, or sorry, neutrons, electrons, and protons. They might say that. And those are particles. Um, <clears throat> but then you might ask, well, what are those made out of? And, um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know what they're made out of, Sheldon, but some people suggest quarks are even maybe the fundamental smallest particle you can get. And so somebody might ask, well, what's a quark? And somebody, some people say, well, it's a little knot of space-time. And I'm thinking, okay, but what is a little knot of space-time? It actually turns out that when you're sitting in your chair, there's practically nothing there. If you're actually going to boil it down to quarks, if you took all the quarks that you're made of and piled them up on a pile in your chair, you wouldn't even see the pile. That's how small they, that's how mostly empty space we all are. It's kind of depressing, but if we have, in fact, have a mind, we have a mind that can work independently of the laws of nature, then that mind is able to, to look at our decisions or look at our brain states and say, oh, there's something going wrong here. You're going in the wrong direction. Or even, even like she mentioned fantasy, people would have this fantasy of something. But I don't know if she realized that a fantasy itself is just another brain state determined by physics and the origin of nature if you give her thing, if you grant her basic premise. And so then how do you know then whether if you and me, if I'm having a fantasy and you're not having a fantasy, how do you know which is true, which is a fantasy? Because they're both brain states determined by nature and the laws of physics. That's so that problem. was another one of my questions. What's a brain state? Is that like a snapshot in time of what your what your brain is telling you? Well, it'd probably be a snapshot in time of what chemical and physical processes are going on in your brain. You see little synapses, little flashes of light, you know, blood cells circulating around through the arteries and veins and, and so forth. So there'd be a, a billion things happening in your brain that are just all chemistry and physics and a brain state would be the snapshot at any point in time in that whole process. But that whole process is following in, inexorably from the initial conditions of the universe and laws of physics. So you're not actually thinking. You're, you're just like a fried egg in a frying pan going through a series of chemical reactions. If we don't have a mind and we don't have free will and we can't think according to rules of logic. But if you can, then you can look at your brain state and you say, you know, I was just daydreaming there five minutes ago, but I know that's not real. Or that guy over there, he's, you know, he's coming up with some pretty wild stuff. I know he's wrong. Well, hopefully you would know he's wrong, but you would know he's wrong on some logical process that went on in your head, not some chemical reaction. So we, we have enough understanding of science to know that the brain does certain things. Uh, there are chemicals. You, you can take medicine to adjust those chemicals in the brain that 
might uh, help your anxiety, different things like that. Um, so we know that there is a, a lot of what she's saying. There is science mm-hmm. to say this is how the brain works. Is there science that says that's all the brain does? Like she's, she was pretty clear. She thinks it's settled. Mm-hmm. She thinks the other arguments don't have anything to back them up. But even in a materialistic world, is that the only option? Uh, well, it's pretty much the only option because, uh, I mean, you can have a little bit of randomness in quantum mechanics, but you still have no control over that. So it's still not you thinking or coming to a decision. And I think part of the problem, a major problem in her presentation is that she was giving an argument. That's the problem. If she wanted to um, explain why she believes there's no free will and she wanted to be true to her own basic premise, she should have put on a massive pile of chemical and physical equations that described how her brain got into that state of concluding there's no free will. That would be the correct answer from her perspective. The incorrect answer would be to give some sort of logical argument that follows rules of logic because physical outcomes don't care. They don't care anything about logical inference. Those rules of logic are built only for minds. So if you have a mind, you can actually oversee your brain state and say, oh, that's not going the right direction. But if you have no mind, then pretty much I think she's right. Okay, so and this is where my mind sort of um, overheats and goes, I can't even comprehend the argument here. Um, When we say we change our mind, somebody gives us some information that changes what what we were previously understanding, or um, I'm going to go over there, but then somebody tells me there's a blizzard coming. I don't want to go over there. That's all particles. Well, she would have to argue that, but in reality, I think you would say there's a blizzard, you know, over there. And you would think blizzard over there. Okay. If there's a blizzard over there, the roads might be very difficult to drive. I might wind up in the ditch. And the probability of having a problem is much greater if I go now rather than wait until the blizzard is over. But what you've just done is performed a series of logical uh, reasoning according to rules of logic and you arrived at the conclusion it's better to stay home right now. But if she's right, that's got nothing to do. It's kind of like when you drop an egg into the frying pan and you know when you first drop it in, the, the egg white is transparent and runny and the egg yolk is in the middle. But as the heat is applied, it changes its state. And so really, uh, the, whether there's a blizzard over there has, has no effect on you if you're just a physical brain sitting there doing uh, chemistry and physics or at the mercy of chemistry and physics. You can't think ahead. And if you could, now she might come back here and say, well, we're, we're running software. I know she used that term one time. We're running software and your software makes all these calculations. Well, hold it right there. Software. Like when I look at, say, a rock rolling down the hill or an egg frying in the pan, 
Uh, it's pretty hard to say some software would emerge out of that. And so it's just a series of reactions. So where does this software come from? Now, we know we can write software, but we're able to write software because we have a mind that can think intelligently and, and think according to rules of logic. We can actually kind of sometimes build the software or a computer so that it mimics our, our if this, then that type of thing. We can mimic that, but the machine is not actually thinking. It's just running deterministically according to the software we wrote. So the question is, who wrote the software that enables you to actually think logically? Because thinking logically is not a natural thing. There's no, it's just chemistry. It's just eggs frying in a pan between your ears. And, and that was going to be one of my other questions is who were the people that sat down and said, I have a theory. I have a hunch. I think that all these math equations point to us not having free will. <laughs> well, Sheldon, I mean, I mean, you you you've kind of exposed a bit of an Achilles heel there for the for that position because uh, they keep smuggling thinking into this. Like you shouldn't be smuggling. If you actually believe that everything that we do is completely and totally it, your brain state, the very next word you utter, the very next so-called thought in your head is just a chemical reaction that was determined way back there. Um, you can't do stuff like that. And, and this is what I see happening is that a lot of times people arguing that we don't have free will lose the argument with the very first uh, a decision to make an argument because that is not going to happen under nature. That's going to happen totally only if you have a mind that can think according to rules of logic free of being constrained by the laws of physics. So physics does not dictate your decisions in your head. It's hopefully logic. No, physics, what physics will do, though, is that if this is true, that we have a non-physical mind, it, then it actually interfaces with our brain in the physical world. It has to interface, like we have to interface with our physical body. So when I talk about myself, I'm not talking about this body sitting in a chair here. I'm talking about, when I say me, I'm talking about what I might refer to as the soul. That's me. That's what defines me. It's my, it's, and my mind is part of it. And that's got nothing to do with physics. My body has everything to do with physics. So if I'm going to operate in this physical world, I need some sort of an interface. And that's my brain. In the same way, if you want to use a computer or a cell phone or whatever, your keyboard becomes the way you communicate with your laptop or your your screen with your thumbs, your the letters on your screen. That's your interface. So the interface is damaged. It'll else actually impair your ability to function in the physical world. Let's say you're deprived of oxygen at birth. So your interface is now damaged. Or let's say you get into a car accident with some brain damage and you find, wow, you know, Sheldon sure is different now. Even his personality has changed. The personality, what they would call personality, is basically just a function of, it, it can, it's partly a function of your physical state of being, whatever, endorphins, uh, your genetics, and so on and so forth. But uh, your real you, the real personality that's a lot harder to uh, figure out because we we have we are very good at kind of putting on a persona in this in the in the physical world. 
Okay, so this, uh, the car accident thinking, or the car accident um, situation is something that I thought of when I was watching her videos, because um, uh, mental illness is something in our family. So I've, I've researched um, the amygdala, uh, those kind of things when it comes to anxiety. And uh, there was, all, there was a uh, guy that was uh, in an accident and had a train um, spike from the yeah. train track in his head, damaged his amygdala, totally changed his persona, all of that stuff. When I think of the initial conditions of the universe, can you explain that? Because to me, that should change. That that train spike was a change. How would how would the initial conditions of the universe come into play on that? Well, the spike flying through the air and embedding itself in his head, that too was determined from the initial conditions of the universe. And so when How? How did the initial conditions of the universe set that up? Well, you actually have to look at every single particle that was expanding in the early universe, its momentum, its velocity, uh, what its properties, and how it's interacting with its surrounding. You have to look at every one of those, and you'll notice, oh, these two will eventually get close enough that they might bind together, or maybe a lot of them will get close enough to start forming maybe a nebula or maybe a star or something. And then you get this long story about how things, because of their, it's like when you break your, when you're playing pool. So you have everything nicely organized. You hit that ball. It throws the balls everywhere. And you would say, once the balls stop moving, you could ask the same question. How did those balls get there? Well, it all goes back to the initial conditions of the momentum of your pool cue, hitting the ball and slight differences in the orientation. And that's where the balls. Now, let's say you hit the ball, you break the thing. You break your, I don't even know what the term is, but that cluster of pool uh, balls, billiard balls or pool balls. And after they all quit bouncing, they wind up in the shape of a smiley face. And uh, there again, you would just have to say, wow, isn't that amazing? You know, it's just the way of the momentum was. That was completely random. Yeah. yeah. But if you had a lot of events happening like that, let's say in a bigger scale, you have people arising out of all these collisions and starting to make music and write great novels and poems and build things. Or the balls never stop moving. The balls are always moving. So if a spike goes into the guy's head, that is a physical intrusion into the brain. It will change the chemistry of your brain in a lot of different ways. There's a big changes happening when the spike went in. So whatever happens afterwards could be completely determined if he had no mind. Now, if he has a mind then he's going to have some difficulties now because he interfaces with the with the physical world through his brain, but his brain's damaged now. So he's going to have, he's going to be a different person. You're, you're going to see changes in that person. If he's still able to function, you know, if he survives, you're going to see changes. Over time, though, you might see some of his real personality emerge. I know I've read an article on, I think it was a minor who back, I don't know, 150, some odd years ago, got a um, one of those rods through his head, and yep. uh, as you, the, there's a lot of actually urban myths surrounding that story. But if you actually read the whole account over time, you know he did recover, but he was never completely the same yep. afterwards. Okay, so um, 
Why does this matter, Kirk? Okay, why does this matter? That's probably the most important question of all. Because if you can actually think, according to rules of logic, what that tells you is that you're not just a physical being controlled by chemistry and physics. There's something to you that is what we might call not natural. By not natural, I mean not controlled by physics and chemistry. There's, there's something else about you that can think according to rules of logic and axioms of logic. So if there is something, if you can think logically or rationally according to these principles, it tells you there's something about you that's not natural. And if there's something about you that's not natural, then it raises a lot of important questions Number or, or even points to some as evidence for some things. Like, for example, then you have evidence that you are not just a physical being. You're not just a collection of particles. There's something even more important about you that can actually override mental states sometimes and choose between, you know, if I want a pile of donuts, but I know it's not good for me, I won't eat them. So you have something non-physical about you. That's evidence for a soul. Now, if there's something non-physical about you, what happens when your physical body stops working? Well, it can't continue on. I mean, the laws of chemistry and physics just say it just de degenerates and decomposes. But if you're, but if you, and I'm referring to the non-physical you, the, your mind, which is you, but if you are not controlled by chemistry and physics, that part will survive. That part doesn't die when your body does. So you actually, your mind actually would continue to survive and exist after the death of your physical body. Now, when you start thinking about all the implications here, you start realizing that a lot of stuff that, that say Jesus talked about, he says what, in fact, there's this great quote in the New Testament. He says, what would it profit a person if they gain the whole world, but forfeit their soul? That's you forfeit yourself in an effort that in this physical world, during the short lifetime of your body here, you amass billions and conquer all sorts of countries, but then the body dies. You have just put your whole effort into this short-term life when really what you should have been focusing on was the real you. The, that you are, I would, I would suggest, and I haven't, okay, I would suggest that where all this points to is that you are an eternal soul. And you, you, uh, your physical body is an important, is a critical component of what you are. You have a, you have a body, but that's not just all you are. You're not just a bag of meat and bone. That, that's the Bible talks about it as our dwelling place. That's kind of like where you live, so to speak. It uses terms like um, dwelling, a jar of clay in which you you live, um, a garment like clothes. So when you're looking at me, you're just seeing my body, but I'm interfacing with you. And if anybody else who might watch the video, uh, it's the who is doing, who's doing, who's deciding who, who is the real Kirk or the, maybe not the real Kirk, because my body is part of the real Kirk, but it's really the non-physical living eternal soul that's doing the talking, that's doing, making the decisions and telling the body what to do and directing the body and planning ahead, making moral decisions, making just normal decisions about whether to cut my orange this way or that way. 
but I am presiding over my body, which is basically my dwelling place. So what I'm saying here is your ability to think is actually evidence that you are in, in, in one important respect, a supernatural being, you have an eternal soul, a soul that doesn't die when your body does. Okay. So that's deep. Um, let's, uh, look at a couple of the comments that a uh, few people had. Um, do we want to get into the spiritual discussion about free will in this one, or should we wait for another one? That's probably better because that, that is a whole other topic about yeah. whether God has given us free will. That's a that's a excellent topic on its own. Okay, yeah, I didn't want to uh, open that um, open that one without having enough time to uh, really get into it. Um, is it possible that? Um, let me let me just grab the. This is a question. Uh, so one question was, does this conversation relate to when people ditch their faith? It, it's, it's relevant to that because when people, let's say, abandon their faith and belief in God, part of what they embrace is that this is all there is. Like, I don't have an eternal soul. Um, I, when I die, I'm, that's it it's it's over and so when people that's that's a very that's a significant part of abandoning one's faith in god or belief in god is that you then necessarily have to well you don't have to necessarily embrace materialism because there's other views you could embrace platonism for example that there's there's something non-physical about the world but it's not at all to do with you know conscious existence after death although it's pretty hard to argue that plato example for example that's where the word platonism thought that you know there actually is a form of the number four and a form of the number three you know in this other realm but he also uh, believed in the existence of the soul and he said if your soul survives he said this in uh, i think it was in his the dialogue called phaedo i think when he was uh, about to die uh, from drinking poison because that was his punishment for making young people think critically about stuff. So um, <clears throat> he says, if the soul continues to exist after death, the most important thing we can do in this life is to focus on the soul. So it's very relevant to deconversion and it might help some people maybe if they realized that if I can think according to rules that are not dictated to me by chemistry and physics, then there's something about me that's not physical. And maybe I should take this idea of the spiritual or the soul more seriously. Okay. Um, some people might say, but animals can think. Do they have a soul? That's a good question. And I, I've been thinking about animals myself because they... Um... No, my dog can't think. He's dumb. But even he can be trained. Am I just changing the chemicals in his mind or does he actually have a soul that only just partially works? To some extent you can train by behavioral modification through reward and punishment. It's kind of like, I think there's a general consensus amongst neuroscientists that your brain is kind of like a neural network and neural networks can be trained. 
They're just like, they're just a system that allows repetitive behavior to become kind of programmed into your brain. But thinking is different. So, but I, I suspect sometimes, take a raven, for example, ravens are very intelligent and they can figure out puzzles and it makes me think that they can think. So they're, they have something about them that's not completely determined by the laws of physics. And, uh, you know, that's hard to accept, although I do know this one place in the Bible that does, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about the death of animals, as opposed to the death of humans. And they said the death of animals, their spirit departs as well. So what, though that's another question, what, is it, what do you mean by a spirit? But there does seem to be something non-physical about animals, at least the higher forms of animals that is referred to as a spirit in the book of Ecclesiastes. But it does say on their death, the spirit simply, it, the idiom is returns to the ground. It just dissipates. Whereas for a human, your spirit continues. And that was the distinction made in Ecclesiastes. So I don't know, Sheldon. I suspect there's something about animals that's not entirely physical, at least the higher ones that can think, uh, that appear to think like ravens, for example, and, and my dog, uh, I think, I think your dog. We got a dud. We got a dud. Uh, my, my <laughs> wife said, uh, like g- great dog. Uh, not, not a service dog. Uh, he is not a service dog. He can fetch. He can play. Uh, I wouldn't trust him to walk anybody across the street. He would run right into a car. Okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll grant that for your dog. But I, I, there are some dogs uh, that are, they do seem to be able to be very intelligent and sense intuitively things and so forth. Now, I would not, you know, bet the farm that animals have can actually think. But uh, when I, I've spent a lot of time with animals and uh, I suspect there's some thinking going on there. Maybe not at, at the level we can, but there's still some reasoning, some figuring stuff out how to get around the house, you know, how to climb the stairs. Well, and there, there's reports of a dog that will go and get the neighbor when their master um, yeah. passes away or falls or something a like lot that. Of that. A lot of that with, with certain animals and dogs are one of the major ones that make us think that there's not, it's not just chemistry and physics happening here. There's something additional about the animal that allows them to do things like that. Now, so from Sabrina's explanation, it's just the particles in the dog's head, uh, the light waves affecting the chemicals in the brain to say, the blob on the ground is my master. I need to go find another blob, bring them to my master so I can get food later. It's difficult because she only addressed free will. but And I suspect, I don't know, I like... It doesn't seem to me that she even thought about the implications of what she was saying when it comes to things like thinking, because you can't even think. And it, the implications of having fat, fat being, uh, you know, being wrong about an opinion or, or being misled or though, none of those mean anything. She talked about one person who thought it might be original to say, oh, I don't have free will, so I had to post this comment. Uh, but even original doesn't make sense like it's just an outcome like everything else of you don't worry about which egg in the frying pan is is original when you lift it out onto your plate they're all going to be different uh but if they're all the same you don't complain about oh this egg wasn't original no it's just matter 
Well, I was even trying to figure out where she was coming from when she said the word enlightened. Yeah. That to me means you, this is something you haven't thought of before. There's a lot of terms that she uses. And I I really, I don't want people to misunderstand me here. I really enjoy her uh, vlog, her video blog. I really think she's a sharp scientist. She does an excellent job of cutting through the fluff when it comes to science. But when she moved into free will, there's things I don't think she was thinking of and everything. Like there's so many things that she, she, even just making up an argument, that was, you can't do that if she's right. Um, None of this makes, like you can't think, you can't make free decisions. You can't construct an argument. It's just chemical reactions one after another. Um, it's, I don't think she thought about all these things, but what I see going on is that people who argue that we don't have free will sneak everything about free will and thinking into their argument. And that's the problem. It's usually self-refuting in a more of an application sort of way. Now, I know she talked about a criminal and you should lock them up because um, basically the they have no control over themselves, basically. So you need to lock them up. Um what do you do with somebody like Putin or Putin or however you pronounce his name these days? Is, is he, is the particles making him do it? Like I titled this, I titled this uh, live stream free will or particle rule, because it sounds like she's saying the particles rule. Yeah. And, and I think she would have to grant that what Putin is doing here was is completely just chemistry and physics determined from the origin of the universe and what the Ukrainians are doing in response and what the news people are doing, all of that, even the TVs themselves or the media or the smartphones that are broad, all of this was determined from the origin of the universe and the laws of physics. It's just particles moving around and reacting according to chemistry. So we call that pile of particles over there, Putin. We call all that group of particles, Ukrainians, um, you know, but it's just particles. She would have to, I think, grant that these are just particles, um, very complex part of, you know, made of particles and a very complex pile of chemistry and physics equations that are governing how the particles all bond to each other and where they're going to go next. But it's all just particles. And if it's all just particles, there's no such thing as evil. No, no, no. There's no such thing as a good. There's no, no such thing as the ethics. No, there's no there's no such thing as a social order. Yeah. Well, like when you have two eggs frying in a pan, they're not worried about which one is behaving is evil or not, which one's correct or not. And I know the eggs are a little simple compared to people, but basically people are complex eggs frying in a pan. If you grant her initial premise that all the reality is, is just simply 100 percent material. There's no evil. That itself is an illusion. She uses the term illusion. Free will is an illusion. Right and wrong is an illusion. Evil and good, another illusion. Why would these eggs make up names for to describe various states as they're frying in the frying pan? It's just absurd. And then, then you have to ask the question. If, if it's all just particles, why do we even worry about anything that's going on on this planet? Well, Climate you change worry. doesn't matter. Or- yeah, worrying is an illusion, she would have to argue. But but this is where it just gets so difficult to accept, so hard to swallow. 
when you start actually thinking about all the ramifications, if we're just particles governed by physics and chemistry, then it becomes massively absurd. We, we say, no, there, there is right and wrong. There is evil and good. I can think, I can make decisions that will choose between something wrong and something good. I can choose to create music and write software and paint a painting. And there's so many things that we do without realizing that we could not do these things if it's just laws of nature governing chemical reactions like eggs frying in a pan. There has to be something more to a human being. And we'll call it a mind at this point, to be simple. A mind that actually presides over the physical part of ourselves and interfaces with this world through the brain. But the mind is not is not determined by the brain. It's not controlled by the brain. It's the opposite. The, the brain, the mind controls the brain, at least in areas of decision-making and so forth. The, uh, as far as chemical processes, uh, well, that's, it's, it, the brain is not just controlled by the mind. It's also controlled by the laws of nature and chemistry and physics. So it's a complex state of affairs. It has two inputs. She's postulating only one, chemistry and physics. I'm postulating no if we're going to explain thinking and right and wrong and good and evil and intuition and all these things, thinking rationally and doing mathematics, then we have to postulate there's something else inputting into our brain. And that something else is the mind. But if that is the mind, it turns out that that, wow, that's pretty much me. That's, I am, I am presiding over my physical brain and my body so much as physics and chemistry allow. Well, and it sounds like if you have a mind and you're able to make decisions, you have choice, mm -hmm. which is free will. Yeah. In fact, you can't even make logical decisions unless you have a choice. Like you say, if, if, uh, if this is the case, then this could happen or that can happen. And then you kind of have to make a choice and then decide what the conclusion will be. But you can't arrive at logical conclusions of free will. Well, well, uh, thanks, Kirk. Uh, we're coming to the end of the time. I have to go keep, pick up a kid at volleyball. But um, do you have any more uh, videos coming up here? Uh, you know, I'm still trying to decide on my next video. So you'll just have to stay uh posted you can subscribe to my channel and just keep an eye on uh, what the next video is i hope to have it up uh let's see it's not going up tomorrow but right. early next week monday or probably tuesday sounds good uh tuesday or thursday next week we'll do another live stream probably another day stream um just to uh it's a little bit easier for us because that's during our work days so uh it allows us to do it uh when our family is not uh wondering when we're done so um yeah, thanks, Kirk. Uh, those of you who are just coming on now, sorry. Uh, time zones got us messed up. I'm going to blame it on the particles. Um, and uh, we'll go from there because obviously I wasn't thinking. <laughs> nice. Like that one? All nice. Right. See you later.